We are back with another episode of Founder Journey. Today, I have Cecilia Zhao with us from, uh, uh, I (laughs) I keep calling it ICTUS, but it's ICTUS Audio, and there's a unique uh, meaning behind that name. It's actual industry term, but uh, Cecilia, welcome. Thank you for joining us on Founder Journey. Please tell us about ICTUS Audio and uh, uh, the company and why you're so passionate about what you're doing. Okay. Hello, everyone. Hello, viewers. We have a podcast of our own, but like not many viewers. So we like to start off with hello, hello. And um, ICTUS Audio started off as a music post-production company, mostly. So um, ICTUS is actually a term in conducting. It's kind of like when you do that move and then the uh, all music will start. So it's kind of like a emphasis. Yeah. Almost. So if anybody's ever been to a, concert, a opera concert, yes, the um, podium you, you have seen. The conductor with a little wand. Yes. The uh, like tar. Have you watched tar, tar recently? I it's, personally haven't seen it, but yes. Yes. Yeah. But um, anyway, so we started off as a music production company. We mostly focus on, focus on composing, sound design for um, all kinds of media, including short film, films, commercials, VR, and XR, like spatial audio kind of stuff, very um, edgy and techy. And then as we go on, there are students come to us. They'd be like, hey, can you help me um, to get to Berkeley College of Music? Most of them are Chinese, I would say, because back then it wasn't really a choice for Chinese students to study contemporary music in the States. And then they really don't know how to start and what to learn. So they come to us and we start be like, okay, we'll give you like private one-on-one lessons to help you to audition to audition for Berkeley and getting. And that's how the music education part of the company starts. So right now it's a combination between music post-production and contemporary music education. Okay. And, and obviously... If anybody's watched a movie, uh, music plays a big role in any type of experience, uh, visual experience. Uh, a lot of it times it's underappreciated. If you ever yes. watch a movie without music, it's really boring. Yes, but when the music underscore comes in, it really adds exactly. a big impact. And so um, you were teaching people how to get into um, school, into, into Berkeley. It, and then now it's morphed into an actual studio that's helping people understand how to do that work themselves. It's actually, um, more, more to that. Cause like the first step for us is trying to educate both students and parents. What is contemporary music education like, right? What is the current music industry? What are the job occupations out there? Right. As you just said, like scoring, it's like a whole topic on its own, but like a lot of Chinese students or like Asian kids study like piano or cello or violin since the age of five. Mm-hmm. But then why are they studying, right? They never think, oh, what can I do with violin or what can I do with a piano? And then for us, the first step is always to tell them what you can do afterwards. What are the um, jobs in the music industry? And then we'd be like, what are the ones you're interested in, right? That's So correct me if I'm wrong, uh, again. Asian family, Asian parents, Mm -hmm. Uh, music plays a significant role in the child's upbringing, but Mm -hmm. it usually is looked at as a form of discipline, Mm -hmm. uh, a form of education and rounding out, but not, as you mentioned, not really a career choice. And that's where you're coming in and showing, hey, those 10, 12 years of piano lessons can actually turn into more than just being a concert pianist, 
there's a whole other industry out there. Yeah, the self-discipline is absolutely like among one of the top reasons why parents have their kids play a instrument, right? But if you really think about it, there should be more to that, right? You want your kids to be like creative, being able to express themselves through music or like enjoy music as a form of art. So that is what the um a lot of classical trained students are lacking, or like at least from some students who came to us and be like, I want to study music, but they don't know what they actually want to study. That's kind of the um, taboo we were facing. Mm-hmm. And then once we have that down, and there is like a whole structure, like it's kind of like a three step kind of approach, right? The first approach is for the students to identify. What is the area in music that they want to study? Right, that's kind of like I would say career mentorship, almost like exposing expose them to all those jobs and then how to get there and what do those like technicians or like engineer kind of jobs in the music industry do? Right, that's the first step. And then the second step is to help them to develop a um transit transition from classical music to contemporary music. A lot of times, right. So there are terms that's different. There are harmony that's different, right? How to build a solid contemporary music core foundation to compose to create. That's kind of the second step. And then the third step is to help them prepare for Berklee College of Music if they actually decide to pursue music as their career. If they want to make a living from music, that's the、um, approach we're using. And again. Most people default when you hear career music is as a performer. Yes, they think you're a performer. They don't know like, say, um, we're filming this podcast right now, right? And then there need to be someone who's gonna adjust the EQ, who's gonna balance out, like cancel all the noise, and then edit it, and then publish it on, say, Apple. Podcast or like Spotify, right? That is a job.、Mm-hmm. And then when you're at a recording studio, there are like recording engineers. There are so many mics, right? Which mic is best for recording piano? Which one is better for mixing? So there's all the um, I wouldn't say it's kind of like science and also like terminology behind it. That is a whole different major. And then like scoring, as you just said, like、mm-hmm. commercials, films, you cannot watch a silent. Movie or like play a game without any sound, right? When you shoot a zombie, you are expecting a sound. Some sort of sound. So yeah. yeah, that is kind of the、um, areas we're trying to、um, make people more aware of. Like you can become one of those like、um, sound、careers. engineers. Yes, and,、yeah. engineers. And yeah, we we're lucky here at Launch to have our own mad scientist,、uh, Samson Lee, as our、uh, <laughs> our music and podcast guru.、Uh, he's also our community、yeah. manager, rock star, and, and many different fronts. But、uh, he does a lot of the、uh, mixing and editing, and、uh, it's not just、uh, something that we threw at him. It's something that he's actually is passionate about.、Um, so it is a career, and there are people out there that really are passionate about the subject matter. Yeah. So there's the education side of the business, but there's also the music production side. What are the different categories that Ictus is really involved in, and what gets you really excited right now? So、um, I, I I don't think I shared this before, or we like publicly、um, announced it, but we were the、um, do you know Ken? Yep. So they actually launched a XR unit, right?、Okay, so for the audience, that's not Cannes, 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 France, yes, Cannes、uh, Film Festival, Music Festival. Yes, there's lots of stuff happening in Cannes. The award、yes. shows,、uh, 
So, um, so they launched a XR unit where you go in and you know put the Quest on, and then it's kind of the Quest is the uh, VR the, the headset VR headset by, by Meta. Yes, Facebook. So you formerly put those, Facebook. I think it's back to Facebook now. Yeah, but, it uh, is back to Facebook. Yeah, it's a Facebook's uh, VR headset called yeah. the Quest. You you put the Quest on, you enter a portal, and then that is actually um, down here at Vancouver by Cry's Immersive, which is our long term partner. So we were the audio director of that section of Kongs. I'm pronouncing it wrong too. So, Kans. so. okay, <laughs> forgive me, my um, French, French isn't, yeah. listeners. So yes, yeah, so we were the audio director of that platform called, called Alexandria, where you can socialize with people and also watch 360 VR films. So that is um, kind of the um, specialty of our music production. We so, do a lot of spatial audio and uh, VR music, game music like non-stereo. So ICTUS came in and, and did the whole audio component yes, of so, that experience. Yes. With um, So you're, when you actually, someone calls her name Ray on the street, you can actually tell where she is coming from, right? How yeah. far she is and which direction it is. So we added this component to in our composing step. So our music actually contained that information. Whereas when you just listen to music on Spotify, it's like binaural, right? So that is kind of our specialty. And for Khan, we did the music composition and a lot of the sound design. When you like enter a movie, like you will hear Q and we write it. So that is kind of our role in Khan. So a lot more complicated than people would assume it is because it's not just straight. Yes. Uh, it's not just music and composing. There's also actually like coding into the it. The spatial side. Again, if yes. you're standing in a VR environment that's replicating a street corner, like mm. you said, if somebody's mm. calling your name, you need it to come from a certain direction for that yes. person's walking and a distance and all these different layers need to be coded in. So so that's what ICTUS does. That, on that the, is on the, our specialty, I would say. And then on top of that, we also do scoring for like um, linear mediums, like um, films, games, uh, commercials, a lot of commercials. And also uh, we have spatial albums that we hope to launch at um, NFTs. And we also do a lot of like research related to game in terms of like um, blockchain, um, Web 3.0. Th those are kind of the um, technology and music combined fields. So when you're talking about blockchain, uh, is mm. this a layer of uh, like uh, rights management and understanding a uh, chain of title? Or is it like, uh, is it the assets are on blockchain or is it more about uh, like the NFTs and building experiences? It's, it's actually more about the in NFTs. Okay. We were thinking to um, publish our, our albums as NFTs, but then we also, also a lot of like research stuff, right? How many customers are going to buy um, their music on as an NFT, right? Who who's our who's our market? That mm -hmm. is the thing we try to do research on, and also with like especially NFT, a lot of them are related with VR or XR, right? So um, what are the big brands that are willing to create such experiences, and how can we compose music for? different sorts of media. Yeah. So I think there's two sides to that. One is you could uh, definitely be the the music underscoring and mm -hmm. NFT experience, but the other side is all the library of, of music and audio that you've created can be put on chain, blockchain, uh, yeah. and, and you can manage the rights management, like royalties and uh, yes. uh, chain of title as people start using that library. Uh, it's a whole other world that we can talk about there. Yeah, so but, it's like a standalone episode. Yeah, this. and and but you said something about uh, games being linear. Is is a game experience that you're coding games for? Are, are they not linear? That might 
in misspoken. So yeah. like linear are things like you don't interact with, right? Yeah. So like films, you just watch the film. Yeah. But then non-linear things are like games. When you like trigger a collectible, there's a sound to it. And yeah. then like as sound designers, you really don't know when the player is gonna collect that thing. So that is non-linear. Anything you interact with is non-linear. So that also have like SIGGRAPH or like um, live installations. Those are all non-linear. Yeah, the, when you said uh, collect a collectible, the first thing that popped in my head is Super Mario jumping up and hitting, yeah, the, so hitting we, the question box. Yeah, we use box. that as a demo for a lot of our students as yeah. well. It's, it, see, like good music in those non-linear media, you, they're stuck in your head. Yeah, and, and you don't realize how complicated the, the world around music and, and audio is. Yes. But uh, without it, those experiences would be nothing. Yeah, it's more technical than like musical for like those fields, yeah. I would say. Hello, fellow tech startup founders. I just want to quickly interrupt this episode to tell you about us at Launch. If you're looking for a community to help you take your business to the next level, consider joining our Launchpad program. As a member, you'll get access to investor connections, programming, workshops, mentorship, and over $400,000 worth of perks. Also, don't forget to check out our other podcasts, Launch AMA and Bits and Bytes, for expert advice and stories from the tech community in Vancouver and around the world. Visit launchacademy.ca to learn more and start building your dream business today. That's launchacademy.ca. Let me take a moment to shout out our longtime sponsor, Smythe. They are a leading independent BC-based accounting firm specializing in providing financial services and consulting for tech companies across North America. Smythe has supported our program and our alumni throughout their early growth stages by helping them structure and set up their businesses, all the way to helping more established businesses with cross-border operations and M&A. They combine industry knowledge with a proactive, collaborative approach, empowering you to make more informed decisions as your business grows. So if you're looking for a trusted partner to help you drive your business to success, reach out to one of our Launch Academy's longtime mentors, Camelia Ho, for more information about how Smythe can support your growth. You can find Camelia's information on Smythe's website at smythecpa.com. That's S-M-Y-T-H-E-C-P-A.com, along with more information about the various industries they support and the services they provide. So before we get into the real... Um, layers of uh, ictus. I want to go back to you as Cecilia, your mm-hmm. journey, because um, you helped mold ictus into what it is today, but you didn't join from day one. You, you joined the company. Um, well, why not let you t- talk about it? Like, yes. tell us your journey so, uh, to um, where you are today with ictus. I am surprisingly a chemical engineer major. I studied another at, mad scientist. <laughs> yes, I am. I love baking because nothing will explode in your kitchen, hopefully. But um, well, you haven't seen me bake, but <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so um, I come from a hard science background. Um, I study a lot of hard sciences. I was I don't I'm not the best singer at all. But then I always share this passion on education. So when I was in high school, I co-founded a nonprofit in China. So almost I did most. Most of what I did back then was to um, help a lot of rural Chinese primary schools on their books and like libraries, I would say. So I would um, fundraise money and books and other resources if needed and then transport them to those schools. And then um, I visit a lot of schools on a monthly basis, I would say. And then after funding like 15-ish libraries in those country, in those like countryside, I started to realize there are more that's lacking that's 
other than books and like infrastructure, right? It's more about um some of the education component that's missing. So like those schools are very small in size. It's like fifteen people, and then with only one teacher. And then those fifteen kids would have different grades. So it's a complex teaching. Method in Chinese, so it means that one teacher has to teach different grades and different subjects all at once. So that is kind of where my passion belongs. But in college, I was like, oh, I need to study a major that's easy to find a job. So engineering, here it goes. But then I also did a lot of like educations, education psychology courses, and then that those were really interesting, and then. After graduating, I moved to Canada. I started living with my best friends, who back then has already started ICTAS on their third year. So it's founded in 2018 here in British Columbia. Like in 2019, it started in Boston, but like we weren't officially registered.、Mm-hmm. And then in 2018, that's when it officially started. And then 2019, they had a visit back to China. I kind of、uh, we were catching up, and then that's when I started giving. Sherry, who visited here before, advice on like students mentorship. So, so for the audience, Sherry is a co-founder. Yes, of Sherry is the co-founder of Ictus and happened to be one of your best friends. Yes, since 2009. Yes. So, um, in 2019, she went back to China and she was like, "Oh, hey, Cecilia, there's this one kid I've been mentoring, and then what do you think I should say to her on the this, this, and that?" I'm like. Um, I was like, okay, if this is the case, and from my experience, it might be helpful if you do this, 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 and that. So that's kind of started. Um, I would say like, what is the right term for it? It just like I've been giving a lot of suggestions for to Sherry and also like other students in general, and then how to deal with like Chinese parents. I would say because like. They are my. They are our clients、mm-hmm. to some degree, right?、So、kind of like coaching, mentoring, advising. I wouldn't say like mentoring because like it, it's more like peer advice. I would say,、yeah. and then that's how we started. And then I moved to Vancouver in 2021 to finish up my masters because I do want to live in Canada in the long run. And then that's when I landed. And then once off, I graduate. Um, I was like, okay. What what do I actually want to do? I want to be in a role that's like people facing, right? I don't want to be stuck in a lab doing experiments that will probably lead to nowhere. And then I was starting to look at project manager roles. And then once I got a job offer, she was like, "If you are gonna work for anyone else, you should work for us because that would make the most sense. Because like you are." Capable of doing anything we need to expand on right now, like a lot of outreaching, marketing, management, and also like I need to be bilingual, right? I need to speak both Chinese and English, and then I need I really need to have a strong work ethic and someone they can trust because it's a family business. It just um Sherry and her partner at the time, the other co-founder, and that is how I officially joined. And then after five months of doing what we were doing, we really grew a lot in that even five months. And then that's when、uh, we were ready to bring up the business to the next phase. Right, we we're determined to transform, transform from a um, I would say prestigious tutoring to um fully equipped 
Academy. So I, I want to talk about, there's a lot of things to, <laughs> to unpack there. One is working with friends mm -hmm. and, and, and joining uh, an, an existing business that uh, needs to go through a transition, uh, the relationships there. But let's, let's focus on, on when this was proposed to you, it's like, hey, come and join us. What went through your head? What are some of the the qualifying criteria that you had to kind of go through yourself mentally? I know they're your friends and you've, you're familiar with the business, but what is it that went through your head to say, okay, do I really want to become a partner in this business or do I want to go get a job somewhere else? Um, my my biggest like question back at the time was like, what do you guys want me to do, right? Because giving advice, even as a friend, like you will always get it. Like whenever you come to me, be like, hey, Cecilia, I need help on this round. I'll be like, oh, here's what I think, right? That will, that will always be available to both of them. But then to me back then, it's like you guys are working a lot. And then obviously I don't, I cannot teach music at all, right? I don't know any instruments well enough to be a teacher. And then I don't think I can do a lot of post-production job that they do. I was like, what do you need me for? That's kind of the first question. And then she told me basically there are so they're kind of at capacity right now because it's just the two of them, right? Then you as like founders, you need to take care of not just teaching in business, but everything behind it, like accounting, right? Yeah. And then you need to prepare all your contracts. And so then, at this time, it's still just a prestigious um, uh, school. It's a prestigious, like, it's a very high-end music production and prestigious, like, boutique-style yeah. tutoring academy. But then it's just the two of and was, them. Was the vision to take it beyond that already there, or is that something that uh, came together as you joined the team? Are you sorry? Can you rephrase that? That was the vision to take it to where it is today as the mm. academy, all these different layers, uh, mm. focusing on all these different industries and, and putting in that structure where you're, you have multiple teachers and, and a whole, whole curriculum. Was that already a plan with the Shelly, Sherry, Sherry, and Sherry and Yo? Yes. Or was that something that uh, as you joined the team, the ability to build something bigger became so, reality? So um, I, I would say when I joined, we they do know that they need to um transform or expand in some way because initially it's more like two freelancers that happen to like work together. Do you, you know what I'm saying? It's kind okay. of like one gig comes in if it's like your expertise you do it, and if it's like I'm better at it, I'll take it. Kind of um work dynamic, I would say. And then once I joined, we're like because they were working at a crazy hour. I think it was like forty fifty hours a week minimum, right? Mm -hmm. and there there will be like 10 days with no day off. That's kind of the norm when you are like freelancing musician, right? You need to bite on to every opportunity that's available, but then they are being maxed out. There, You can't work like 80 hours a week. That's just not possible. And then you need to, you need a third person to take care of like time management or like project management for the whole team. Like who's going to do what and then how to, get work done more efficiently and is there more like systematic approach to some of the um things we're doing and then like like bookkeeping that's kind of the first thing I added to the company before that it was like year-end or like monthly excel sheets right now we have like a online bookkeeping system and then when you have a receipt or a transaction you do it on your phone ASAP and then at the end of each month you, you will have like those reports for you 
and that's like ready and on it also takes care of like invoicing and stuff so like it's one after one minor adjustments like that that shapes us to where we are right now so like it's kind of we figured out on on the long run as as you would yes. went along um and then for you again going back into Cecilia <laughs> uh, being proposed this opportunity mm-hmm. making the decision deciding okay I do want to go ahead um now this is something that probably some of our listeners have had like there there's as you mentioned like there there were freelancers coming together startup formed they they know they want to build something they're doing together but they're mm-hmm. just doing whatever it takes to address what's coming in and then there's this opportunity to build something bigger and and obviously with you on the team that brings a capacity but there's a lot of things that need to be fixed before you can do those things and and we were talking a little bit before uh, the podcast about uh, corporate governance and and restructuring and things like that so maybe we can dive into what that experience was like for you as as you came on board you started to um take the reins on on some of the operational sides and you realize oh i yeah, gotta, I gotta fix some things here yeah so um the first thing is I, I remember the first year i did like the annual return right and then that's when i realized we do lack like the basic structure of a corporate sometimes because mm-hmm. like you would have you need like a file cabinet right we don't have that and then you should be able to memorize all your like CRA loggings and whatnot, but then it just like auto saved on desktops. So that is not like the most structured way to run a company. And then like the um shareholder agreement was kind of messy. And then like even the um the financial front of the company, like we had money just sitting in the bank with like no not even on the high interest accounts, right? So those are the things you really need to think or like no one will ever tell you that when you start the business except for doing the business itself you need to take care of your business like do proper i'm sorry to bring up bookkeeping again <laughs> that's like really well, like, i'm an accountant so i'm okay with yeah, it. yeah it's but, really painful at yeah. some point because like well, especially you, for founders that are not yeah. business oriented and not number centric yes, both of them like, are musicians and there's one joke between us like if you're a musician you only need to count to four, like one, two, three, four, that's it. But then I, I double majored in math and also chemical engineering. So like I was like, a lot of things are just counterintuitive to me, right? There's no way we should be doing this that way. So like bookkeeping and then um, like I would say like there are like period of time when you just keep working, working and working, but there are also time when you need to stop and look what you are lacking so that you can build a stronger foundation so that the company will grow better in the long term. So that's like another thing. And then corporate cleanup, it's kind of like a lot of doc- legal documents you are mm-hmm. lacking. And then all the contracts you are you, you are signing with either like students or parents or like clients, right? Those should be reviewed by a lawyer, right? That is something I did in twenty. 21 so yeah a lot of those things were and and as you started diving in did you think to yourself what did i get myself into or was it the opposite of okay here how how do i address this challenge or how do i take on this challenge 
So like, yeah, that brings back to like, what what do you guys want me to do? That's kind of the first question that I ask Sherry, right? Because like, in if you work for a company, you have like a supervisor or a manager, but like, I don't have one because like, essentially, you need to you're like self-employed.、Mm-hmm. You need to treat it as your business. How do you want to grow it? If you want more, if you want to diversify your revenue stream, you need to come up with new products. Right, that's kind of the the first task. What what am I gonna do? What what should I do? There's no like instructions or whatnot. So I need to figure out what is what can be improved, and then what else can we do without overworking our ourselves, essentially. Okay, that's、uh, yeah. Like I said, some of our audience members might have found themselves in the situation where they're、yeah. asked to join different companies、yeah. or friends on a journey, and <laughs> as you know. Firsthand,、uh, you got to be careful what you walk yourself into. But、uh, part of that is the journey with friends, and so let's talk about that. And、uh, I know a lot of people don't like to talk about、mm. the, the challenges co-founders. So many people say you should never do business with friends. Oh yeah,、uh, there's there's lots of horror stories、mm-hmm. out there around that. But it it is possible you can do that. A lot of times,、um, in your scenario, it's friends that you were friends with before. But sometimes your co-founders become your best friends、mm-hmm. uh, moving forward. Talk, talk us through that experience and and what went through your head when you were proposed to join your your good close friends on their journey. Yeah, so um, I I do want to say like two prerequisites we had before like um becoming business partners. So like one thing is that all three of us lived together for two years during COVID, and then there weren't even a big fight at all. Right, we each have. Are like specialties or like expertise, and then when you are lacking, you just ask for help. So like I feel like overall, it's the um we we communicated really well, and then there's no fights when there's a disagreement, we talk it out, and then that is one thing. And the second is that um Sherry and I were friends, not were our friends for I would say almost fifteen years now. So、uh, we're kind of like each other's siblings. We're both the、um, single child, and then、um, throughout the years, it's always long distance. Either she's in Boston, I'm in China, or she's in China, I'm in the states, or we're in the states, but but in different cities, right? But throughout the years, we grow at the same rate, right? Every time we talk,、um, There are people who drifted away once you're adults, but we did not. And then we share fundamentally, we share the same understandings of the role and family and friends, and also like money. I think that's really important. And then for us is to openly talk about anything, especially when I first joined, right? So we we kind of sat down and had this talk. Do I really want to join? Like, is this the best option? For me, at that point, right? Or do we actually need a third person, right? And then, do they have a better option other than me? Those are like very openly discussed between the three of us, like repeatedly,、mm. right? So we sit on ideas and then we communicate with each other. So that is one thing I think everyone should do. And then another thing is that we have like different trials, right? There is like one month. Three months, five months, and at each timestamp, you look back on what you did in the past months, and if there are, if there are things that can be improved, say it. And if 
you did something really well, also say it. So like communication is the key. And I, I think we did really well on this front. And another thing that helped is that we were actually so, so busy. And then at like a hundred day or something, when we look back on the things we accomplished in those a hundred days, it, it makes, it kind of reassures all three of us that me joining on board is the right decision for them as like business co founders at the point and me as a partner and me as an individual and of course like Ictus as a company overall. And so in obviously communication is very, very important between mm -hmm. co-founders, let alone friends that are co-founders now. Um, what else are tactics that you used for conflict resolution? Because in a business, there's mm -hmm. always good days and there's always bad days and some of those bad days lead to conflicts. Uh, what is it that you as a team do um, to kind of overcome those conflicts? So um, I think there are like two scenarios, right? One thing would be it is obviously someone's expertise. Say if it's like a spatial audio related topic, we will listen to Yao almost 100% because most of the times it will be her work solely and um, she has a say in that period. So like when those conflicts Right, it's like when those conflicts are more like personal preferences, whoever um, made the biggest contribu contribution has the say. I, I think that's really fair, right? Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is um, the other kind of conflicts is like more general or like business decisions. Uh, if it's like large decisions, we will actually sit down and make sure that everyone is on the same page, no matter how long it takes. Or like you, you might need to explain one point like three times to make the others on board, but we, we do it. Even mm -hmm. if it's like five times, 10 times, whatever, we need to do it. And then the other things are like um, not so important decisions than the majority rule. If two people agree on the same thing, then we just proceed. And most of the times looking back, if two people, two persons thinks it's a good idea to do it this way, it, it most of the time is. And then... Yeah, I think that's how we resolve conflicts. So far, it's been like three years, I think, two, three years. We, we, we don't fight, period. We, we don't really fight. And, and are you guys um, working remotely for the most we part? We live together. So you still live together? We, uh, so during COVID, we live together, we work together, we eat together, we hang out together, we drink together. We, we basically do everything together. And then that is when I joined, I know like things couldn't do, couldn't go horribly wrong because I know them so well. So if you're able to survive I know their, COVID like, together. Lives well, we can survive a kitchen together. Yeah. We can survive a business together, right? <laughs> That's kind of my mentality back then. And then, yeah, sorry, what was that? Well, right? the question was uh, like, are you're, how often are you communicating? And so I guess that I kind of answered my question because you guys still live together. Yes. Because that's one of the challenges, especially in today's world with the remote work. Uh, people are in different countries, different cities. Uh, oh. So how often they, are you guys getting together to actually talk about uh, conflict resolution? Oh, they actually or? moved to Boston. So um, they are now both Berkeley professors at Berkeley College of Music in Boston. Okay. So during the fall and spring, they go to Boston to teach. And when it's summer or like winter break, they come back to Vancouver. And then when they're away, um, we kind of, so in a week, we have one day that's everybody's day off, right? It's like mandatory day off. You cannot work on that day. And then on the others, um, there are certain days that I know they're super busy in Boston with teaching. Mm -hmm. So I will like kind of arrange my meetings and then 
mostly meetings on those days. And then there are like two or three days that we know for sure is open for discussion. We just call each other all the time. And then one thing we did that really helped is that we have two different group chats almost. One is for like friends talk. And then the other is for like business related talk. And then a lot of emails are used in business related subjects like CC each other in the loop. So mm-hmm. that that's how we communicate. That's important to also have, like you've got your different WeChat groups yes. where, hey, this is just us as friends, mm-hmm. no work conversations here. Yes. But uh, we have another one that is specifically for work conversations. Yes. That's really insight- insightful, uh, Cecilia. I really appreciate uh, the insights that you've given us to um, the world of audio and, and the world of your of Ictus. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on a few things before we wrap up here. The first one is um, AI and mm-hmm. the AI in music. There's been a lot of talk about it recently. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? Where do you see AI coming in? Are you going to offer courses on AI in music? Like, where, uh, where does this go? Where- we encourage our students to use AI. So, um, at, in our academy, of course. So, um, we would be like, especially there. Are, um, two, 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 two separate topics. One is AI and music, right? So we've actually tested AI to write like a lyrics or um, show some movies based in based on those those type of like movies or like preferences, right? They do an okay job even in lyric, lyric writing. How good the lyric is is highly dependent on what is your input, how what's your guidance for AI, mm. how you teach the AI to write lyrics. So um, do, if, if you ask us, do, do we think that AI will replace a lot of future music-related jobs? Yes. If They can even write, like, poems, right? So, like, mm-hmm. on the creative front, it's not, the, it's not top-notch, but, like, it's mediocre or, like, okay-ish music. But then we always encourage our students. What we say a lot is that who replace you, those that will replace you is not AI, but musicians or, like, persons who can use AI to increase their productivity. So that is our take on AI in general, but we use it a lot. I actually used AI back in last December when they first come out to help me write like grants and a lot. So it's very efficient. It boosts your productivity a lot. Yeah, and I've heard that quite a few times now where um, the, the fear is not about oh, is AI going to take my job? The fear is mm. uh, who is the other person that has learned how to use AI more exactly. efficiently in their role yes. uh, that uh, is going to take my job. Um, and the other side, again, like there's a lot of uh, generative AI that's building lyrics and, and whatnot, but where do you see AI coming in on the education side for your organization? Um. I think a couple of things we're already using is the first thing is the closed caption function, right? When you um, teach in Zoom, especially when your students, when English is not their native They're, language, uh, the closed captioning really helped a lot. And then that is one thing we use. And then we always encourage students when you are writing something, writing a story or like uh, lyrics, or you have a idea overall, talk to AI. It might like spark you in some ways. So I, I think AI might change education in terms of like efficiency, but the core of music to for us, like music education at least, um, all the time we've been saying this to our students, music should be a tool for you to express yourself, right? And how to 
gets to that next level connectivity between you and your work is the um, core essence of our music education product. And that thing, I don't think music AI can replace it. But then harmony, will AI be able to teach students harmony one day? Maybe. But then will AI guide students to find their inner self, talk to talk to their inner self, and then, you know, uh, mentor them? I, I doubt it. So you're not going to have robotic educators, but it's it, more there, tools in the education like process. There are like core music stuff. Yes, I yeah. think AI might be able to replace it one day because it's very, anything that's very repetitive and mundane, mm-hmm. AI will be better at it. But once it comes to creativity and mentorship, AI... So the fundamentals can be taught by AI, yes, but when it comes to the artistry, mm-hmm. that... It's just like playing pianos, right? When you yeah. get the techniques right, it doesn't make you a great artist. It comes with like how you convey emotions in your playing. So that's kind of the difference between like AI music teacher and like us. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's been really, really insightful. Uh, Cecilia, can you please give our audience some parting words? What are your advice and uh, tips, tricks, or, or strategies for the founders out there that want to build their own business? Um, I would say first thing is to communicate really well. If you're like building a um, company with your friends or anyone else, do really have things written down and like revise or check by a lawyer. That's kind of the, the, the safe fault you always need to do. And the second thing is that you really need to lay a strong foundation, especially at times when you just started, you feel like, oh, I, I need to say yes to this, I need to do this and that, but really do focus on what's good in the long term, right? Be um, really insightful on your decisions. Like decision-making is the most important thing in terms of like entrepreneurship. And then the third thing is that uh, I would say really do pro- profitability analysis and then really think about the numbers you're making, especially you're on the um, creativity or like freelance route. You, you really need to know how much money you're making per hour for any kind of gigs you take and combine them wisely. So that would be my back, to, back to accounting, know your numbers. Know your numbers. <laughs> it's serious. It's really important. You can't really hold on, hold off to like numbers at the year end. You need to revisit them at least every month, right? At least. Yeah, yeah. at least every month. Cecilia, very great insight. I appreciate you taking your time to join us today on Founder Journey and all the uh, wisdom that you part uh, gave to our audience. Hey there, fellow tech startup founders. This episode of Founder Journey was brought to you by Launch Academy. If you're looking for a community that can help you take your business to the next level, look no further than our Launchpad program. As a Launchpad member, you'll have access to everything you need to succeed, including investor connections, year-round programming, workshops, offline socials, mentorship office hours, and over $400,000 worth of perks. Whether you're just starting out or looking to scale, we have the resources and support you need to achieve your goals. But that's not all. At Launch Academy, we also have two amazing podcasts that you can check out, Launch AMA and Bits and Bytes. At Launch AMA, we bring in industry experts to answer your burning questions about entrepreneurship, fundraising, marketing, and more. It's a great way to stay on top of the latest trends and learn from those who have been there before. 
And on Bits and Bytes, we highlight the tech community of Vancouver, sharing stories of innovation and success from people who are driving the industry forward. It's a great way to stay informed about the local tech scene and connect with other like-minded individuals. So why wait? Join Launchpad today and start building the business of your dreams. Visit launchacademy.ca to learn more about our programs and how we can help you achieve your goals. And don't forget to tune into Launch AMA and Bits and Bytes for even more great content. Visit launchacademy.ca.